Last week, uh, J.O. talked a lot about emotions. And I'm going to take off on that a little bit. We're going to talk about emotions in some way today. It's a very emotional topic. It's going to be the last message on you asked for it. And it's a, it's a, it's a topic that affects, has affected everybody in this room. Whether you're a believer or not a believer. To a believer, we should have demonstrated this much better than non-believers. I'm not sure that we have. So I have a question for you. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be free? Because you can be right and be wrong. You can talk like, you can, you can say like you're right, but you can be wrong. You, know, you can be dead wrong and think you're right. I was just going to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Maybe something more appropriate would be put that in your briefcase. No, we don't have briefcase anymore. My wife made me get rid of my briefcase. She said, oh, that's so old. You need to get... I have a man purse now. So put that in your man purse and take it to the office in the morning. Hallelujah. I'm trying to do this electronically and my thing is dying. Hallelujah. Do you know that cancer is something that will destroy you? Cancer will take you out. Now, with my layman's term of understanding, cancer is like a, a cell in your body that gets out of control. And then if you don't deal with it, now at first when cancer happens to you, you maybe not, don't even know that cancer's happening in your body, right? And then if you don't deal with it, if you don't, you don't know about it, but it, it's there, all of a sudden it starts multiplying cells and affecting other cells in your body until the point where you realize that something is wrong. And then what will happen is you'll end up going to a doctor and a doctor will look at you and he'll take some biopsies and he will diagnose you and he'll say, you either have stage one, stage two, stage three, or stage four cancer. Stage four is terminal. If you get to stage four, it's like, you know, that's like towards the end. It's interesting. Cancer will reveal itself as a tumor or a lump or a mass. Now, I resemble the words cancer because I, I've experienced it twice in my life. In fact, how many in this room have either experienced cancer or have cancer right now? Just let me. If you haven't, you're blessed. If you have, you're still blessed. First time I got cancer was 2008. I was having my teeth cleaned in a dentist. The dentist noticed that there was a lump on my tongue. And so we went and had a biopsy, and they said, this is between stage one and stage two. Went to a doctor, and he said, well, the best thing to do is we think is to cut it out. And so in 2008, I had a third of my tongue cut out of my mouth. And I had 37 lymph nodes taken out of my lymph nodes, whatever those are here. Cancer's gone. 2020, I'm shaving in Hayden, where we live now. I'm shaving, and there's this big lump on my neck. I'm going, well, what is it? It's a big pimple. That's what I thought it was, a big pimple, a cyst. So what you want to do, lance it, squeeze it, get the pus out. I mean, deal with it, get a knife, cut it out. Susan's going, no, no, no. Maybe let's go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor. He looked and did a biopsy. He says, I'm so sorry to tell you that you got cancer. 
And then I said, we need to look further and see if there's any other places in the back of my throat there was cancer. So this time, instead of having surgery and having it cut out, I had uh, uh, two rounds of chemo and I had 35 treatments of radiation. Very dark moments. My cancer's gone. Hallelujah. So I want to talk about cancer, but I want to talk about a different kind of cancer today. Spiritual cancer. Honey, spiritual cancer will take you out. And I ask you the question again, do you want to be right or do you want to be free? Spiritual cancer is called unforgiveness. Well, you know it's in you. You've got unforgiveness in you. It's just inside your body. And at first, nobody really knows that you got it. But as you move along in time, it becomes more obvious that it's there. It kind of leaks into other areas in your life. In fact, what happens, it sucks the joy out of you. And you look at people and mm, you love God. Yes, I love God. Wow. And then when you know what it does after that, it consumes your thoughts. And it eats away at your relationships. And here's how spiritual cancer manifests itself. It manifests itself in grudges, in bitterness, in unforgiveness. Ow! And there's some of you that are infected right now. In this very room. But I have good news for you. There's a doctor in the house. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Yeah, we got to do the Logan thing. His name is Dr. Jesus. And he's on call. Dr. Archibald Hart, the famous author, describes the antidote for spiritual cancer. Are you ready for this? This is what he says. It's surrendering my perceived right to hurt you for hurting me. Surrendering, giving up my perceived right, not my right, but my perceived right to hurt you for hurting me. He says that forgiveness is both an act and a process. So there's something that you need to, you need to forgive in your heart first. And that might take some time for you to be able to do that. I, I get it. We're hurt. We have hurts, we have pains, we have things that have happened to us. It's not fair, but it's happened to us, right? And so there's a place where you need to come to forgive, and then it might be a process to work that out in your life, but you need to get through it. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Think about it. Reconciliation takes two to be reconciled together. Forgiveness takes one. You can forgive. It doesn't matter what the other person does or doesn't do. Whoa, whoa. Blah, 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 blah. What happens if they don't forgive? They don't forgive me back. It doesn't matter. That's right. This is what I say. Build a bridge and get over it. Because it's not all about you, honey. It's what you need to do inside of you. Regardless of what the other person does. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Verse 29. I, I still have an old-fashioned Bible. Bless God. And I love writing in my Bible, too. I got it highlighted. I got words in the, uh, in the inside. I was just, oh, I think you should do that. I still, I'm an advocate for still having a Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Hallelujah. Verse 29. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Ow. Right there. It's already in our face. But what is good for necessary edification. Those are the kind of words that need to come out of our mouth. That it may impart grace. Say the word grace. 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 Look at the person beside you and say, grace. Grace. So that it will impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed till the day of redemption. And then it says, let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And speak kind to one another. Can't we just be kind? It reminds me of you is kind. You is important. You is smart. If we would say those things to each other instead of bitterness, wrath, and malice, it goes on to say... And then it says, be kind. It says, tender hearted. Oh, forgiving one another. This is in the Bible. It's not Stephen Knoll. It's what the Bible says forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow, those are some strong words. You see, when we have lack of forgiveness in our hearts, what we do is we close ourselves off to relationships. Here's some words in that scripture from Ephesians. First word is grudge. Now, some of us walk around, we're holding grudges towards people. Things that have happened in our past, we are allowing grudges to be a part of who we are now. That infects you. It affects you. It spills over into other things in your life. When you, when you have a grudge, it's something that you nurse. It's something that you milk. And it's interesting with with grudges and stuff. Isn't it amazing how the story gets bigger and worse and worse as time goes on? And all of a sudden, it takes on a life of its own. Because all of a sudden, the grudge is a monster. Resentment from past injury and unwillingness to let it go. Let it go. You see, grudge is my perceived right to hang on to a hurt from my past. I prepared my message like days ago. Thursday night I went to bed and early Friday morning, actually at 4.23 in the morning, I woke up and my mind is going over. I was percolating. My me- Some of you older folks might understand the word percolating. You younger fo- folks don't understand that word. That's when coffee would percolate. Before it was ready. Now all you use is a microwave. But in the old days, we had to have a percolate. Oh, curate. Oh, bless God. So it's percolating. The scripture says that he counsels me in the night. I woke up with the thought of the 1960s. When I was a little boy growing up in eastern Canada. 
I still remember the day that my grandmother died. I believe it was February 7th or February 10th, 1967. I was 10 years old, nine years old at the time. Something happened between my dad and his sister, between Douglas and Pauline. And some words were spoken, blaming each other or something about my grandmother's death. And it became such a monumental pain moment in our family. Get this. I didn't see my aunt for over 40 years because of something that happened between my dad and his sister. Unbelievable. The grudge that was held there for some reason. 2010, Susan and I went to eastern Ontario visiting my homestead and going to the different places where I used to live. And I decided to reach out to my aunt. Not sure what kind of a reception, because all I had was hearsay on what happened from my dad's point of view. And I didn't, I had sketchy news, but I just know there was a problem. I didn't, we never visited, we didn't talk, there was nothing. And so we reached out to Aunt Pauline and she invited us to her home. And I think we had breakfast or lunch or something at their house. And it was nice. I mean, that was a little weird. You haven't seen someone for over 40 years and, and now I'm an adult and I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. And then it was like two years later, our daughter's getting married in Laramie, Wyoming. And Aunt Pauline says, oh, me and Uncle Randy would like to come to the wedding. <laughs> really? They came, they not only came for the wedding, but they stayed for a week and we, we toured Wyoming and had fun with them. A year later, they came to our son's wedding. Again, at their expense. And while they're at our son's wedding, they're kibitzing with the family while we're getting ready for the wedding. And Uncle Randy is talking to Susan's sister, Christine, who's older than Susan. And he had conversation with her. And Christine comes up to Susan and says, guess what happened this afternoon? And Susan goes, well, I don't know. What happened? I accepted Jesus. Stop. Uncle Randy shared the gospel. And Christine became a Christian. Now, Christine knew we were believers. She knew I was a pastor. Well, I think she just tolerated us. But there was something about Randy that gave her, that presented the gospel. And she, well, here, a few, year, a few years after that, Christine passes away. That all doesn't happen unless somebody gets free. You can maintain that you're right till you're blue in the face. But I tell you what, you got to get free. Freedom happened. Bitterness. If you don't deal with unforgiveness, it's going to turn into bitterness. It's like you're sucking on a lemon. <laughs> Sour. You know what bitterness is? It's something that's always simmering. It's there. It's just simmering. It's percolating. Bitterness is refusing reconciliation. Do you know that if you don't address unforgiveness in your life, it will affect you, your mental and it will affect your physical body? 100%. That's proven. How about the word wrath? Something Wrath is like springs out of bitterness. Wrath is springs. And what it does is it identifies itself as vengeance. And what it will do, it will, it will identify as rage or a bad temper or you'll say things that you don't mean. How about slander? He uses the word slander. It's the dismantling of the reputation of someone. Using foul or polluting language about someone. 
he uses the word malice, which is a Latin word which means malcontent. Bad word, bad, malcontent. An intentional desire to harm others. Clamor. I think of a symbol. Hang, hang, hang. Whoever will listen, you will, li- you will speak. Clang, clang. Evil speaking. Speech that wounds. Words that wounds. Or oh, I remember little kids be saying, oh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is so untrue. The words that we speak are hurtful, are painful, and we hang on to those words. Something, we, need to speak, we need to speak good things. I mean, Susan and I, sometimes we, we joke about when we get older, and I keep on saying, oh, we're going to end up in a home. Our next house will be a home. You know, and she says, don't you dare say that over us. Don't you dare speak. I'm dying in my own house on God's time. Ooh, yes, ma'am. To be honest, we all have issues with forgiveness. You say, well, forgiveness is not fair. Uh Uh-huh. It's not fair. Remember how we used to say to our kids, life is not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. Here's something else that forgiveness is not. It's not a feeling. Oh, I just don't feel like I can forgive him. Well, it doesn't matter. Who cares about your feeling? Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice of your will that you make. Oh, but I want them to pay. Oh, but I don't want to give them grace. Oh, I want vindication. Wow. Ooh, it's just churning in here. Here's, here's something to think about. Do you, do you think that Jesus thought forgiveness was important? He's our best example of forgiveness. Last time I checked, well, maybe we've had insults hurled at us. Jesus had insults hurled at him. People spit on him. I'm not sure that we've been spit on. He was whipped. I'm not sure that any of us have been whipped. We've been unfriended, but not whipped. We get unforgiveness over being unfriended. He was betrayed. Anybody been? If you haven't been betrayed, wait, it's coming. And they chose him for execution over a prisoner. And yet one of his last words were, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And until you've been there, I don't know that we have the right to say anything different. Forgive them. There's one reality that I fail to admit. I'm just as bad as my offender. I've hurt people. I've gossiped about people. I've said things about people. I've been angry before. I've said things both internally and out loud about people. How come we always want to think that the other person is worse than us? Their sin is always worse than my sin. Hey, folks, don't pretend like you just invented getting hurt. 
We've all experienced hurt. Now, here's where it gets really personal. You see, it's, it's much easier for me to forgive the guy that cuts me off on the freeway. It's, it's a little bit easier to forgive the guy at Fred Meyer's. I've been waiting in line, and he just swoops in front of me. I can forgive them easier, right? But in reality, the people that hurt us are actually people that are close to us. It's our family. It might be a boss. It might be a coworker. It might be somebody in the church. Bless God. If they're sitting on this side, I'm sitting on this side. And dear God, that we would never run into each other in Walmart. This is for real. You're in Walmart and you see them and you have unforgiveness in your heart or bitterness or you have... Dear God, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want them to see me. And you duck down a different aisle. Or you go to the other side of the store. So the question is not if we are hurt. It's when we're hurt. It's a when. What do you do with it when you get hurt? Jesus gives a stern word to the Pharisees. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 4, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, a plank was a long piece of wood. Where's my friend, Sean? Come on up, bro. A beam, a huge piece of wood. And the other is a piece of lint. So I have a beam. I have a plank. A big piece of wood in in my eye. And my brother, my brother from another mother, is right here. Oh, bro, you have a piece of lint. You have a twig. You need to deal with this, my friend. You need to get alone with God, and you need to deal with this twit. And here I am the whole time. I've got this big, huge piece of wood, and I'm coming down on him because he's got a little thing going on. And can you see the perspective? Can you, do you see the problem? This is how we are because we go and we speak to our brother like he's the one that needs to deal with it. And honey, we're the one that needs to deal with it. Come on. Deal with a speck in your eye. So what I need to do is take this off. Now, let's get real just for a second here with my brother, Sean. I love my brother. We've worked together for four years. I oversee men's ministry. He helps me. Sean? You and I have had words. For real. We've had words. Things that were spoken. Things that began to live in here. Okay? We could have allowed that to steer us away from each other. Well, I'm not dealing with him anymore. That's Stephen. Well, I can't stand that Stephen. Sean. He's a dipstick. I mean, give me a break. 
Listen to me. But there's been other words. There's been other words. Here's the words. Will you forgive me? Yes. I will forgive you. Will you forgive me? Yes. I will forgive you. We're not perfect. We don't plan. We don't pretend to be perfect. And yet here we are four years later. Great friends. In Jesus' name. I love my brother. Take your plank and your toothpick. Why is my dirt always worse than your dirt? Or why is your dirt always worse than my dirt? It just seems like your dirt is always worse. So I ask this question, who died and made you the judge and jury? So what's your injury? Betrayal? Somebody gossiped about you? Somebody lied about you? Really? You know, I wish there was a delete key. You know, in the old days, we had typewriters, and I had a whiteout. You know what a whiteout is? And you take that, and you just white it out, and you back it. Well, then we got word processors. Oh, man, I thought I was in heaven. I mean, they had um, orange letters or green letters on a screen, and, and you could just go beep, 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 and back it up and delete it. I wish we could do that in life, but we can't. What's happened has happened. The milk is already spilt. The eggs are already scrambled. You've got to go on from here and do something from here. So do you want to be right or do you want to be free? If you don't address unforgiveness and bitterness, you will end up in prison. You will be in prison. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. J.L. brought this scripture up last week. I was just celebrating in the, in the chair when he brought this up. Listen to this. It says, pursue peace with all people. That's pretty straightforward. Pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with only the people that you get along with. Pursue peace with only the people that like you. And you know what? It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. Are you picking up when I'm laying down? You can be on the left or you can be on the right. It don't matter. Pursue peace with all people. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Holiness with what which no one can see the Lord. And then it says, look carefully. Actually, that means keep an eye out for the weeds of discontent. A thistle or two that have gone to seed destroys an entire garden. If you don't allow, if you don't deal with this, it will destroy friendships, it will destroy families, and then you don't end up seeing your aunt for over 40 years. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, means long-standing resentfulness, spring up and cause trouble. And by this, many become contaminated or defiled. You see, bitterness grows out of a deeply hardened heart. Bitterness is progressive. It begins with hurt, and then there's a desire for vengeance, and then it consumes your thoughts, your waking thoughts. 
That's why the writer of Hebrews says, look carefully. Lest there's any root of bitterness that's inside of you. Snip it in the bud. I used to say snip it in the butt, but I think it's bud, right? Is it bud? Not butt? That must only be in Canada. Sorry. Bitterness turns into spiritual carnage over time. Starts out small, and then you nurse it, and you rehearse it, and you over, and, and you play the tape over and over again, and you, and you play the words over and over, only it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every time you rehearse it. Have you ever noticed in your lawn that weeds all of a sudden just... You see, when the ground is left unattended, it just seems like overnight when weeds just boop. I mean, you go to bed at night and your lawn looks beautiful, and then in the morning you come up and then there's a weed. There's a dandelion. Now, it might not look like anything's happening, even though you can't see it, but really underneath, something's going on with that weed. The root is germinating. The root is growing deeper. It's gaining a stronghold. And then you get up in the morning and boom, there it is. Root of bitterness means to dart or to shoot up. And please know that roots have fruits. If you apply the roots of Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, then your life will be sweet and wonderful. Whatever is pure and good and lovely and wholesome and all those things, those things, you're going to have wonderful, sweet, sweet fruit in your life. You'll have friendships. You, you won't have to duck anybody because that's going to be part of your fruit of the roots that are in your life. However, if you have roots of unforgiveness, resentment, envy, vengeance, jealousy, and anger, you'll have bitter fruit. Relationships will be contaminated. And you'll find people to gripe with. Okay. Now, pastor, just getting a little bit too close to home. And this is what I would say. Don't allow yourself to be a garbage can for somebody. See, people will come to you and, you, and if they know that you'll ha they'll have an audience with you, and then, oh, you better believe that Stephen is a real dirtbag. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that Stephen, oh, yeah, he's bad news. And then you found someone, misery loves company. You'll end up having shallow relationships, and you'll have a bitter taste. You know what? You, you, you get around people, and... You know, something's just not right with that meat. It wasn't cooked all the way or something. Something's wrong. You'll just have that feeling. So to get the root, to get the right root, you need to cut off what's going on at the root. Uh, the, uh, oh, I got it. I got it. Where is it? Come on, baby. You want to get the root out in your garden? You need one of these babies. You see, I can take a weed whacker. Where's a weed whacker? Do you have a weed whacker you can show up there? There's a weed whacker. There it is. Half of one. Half of a weed whacker. You can take your weed whacker and whack it off the top. But you know what? It just makes your lawn look good for a little bit. 
But if you really want to get it out, you need to take one of these babies. Whoops, you gotta go like this. You see, there's sharp things down here. And you get underground and you root that baby out. You take, you know how long roots are with a dandelion? Do we have another picture of that? They, they go a long ways down. Yeah, look at that. That's the root of a dandelion. What do you say, Vern? Want to get rid of the root? You got to use the tool to get rid of the root. So if you want to get rid of the root of bitterness, you got to use the tool to get it out. Relational viruses attack every, every friendship. Relationships are not built on perfection, but on our willingness to ask forgiveness and receive forgiveness to and from our friend. I've said this for decades. The body of Christ is made up of imperfect people in right relationship with each other and with God. The body of Christ is made up of imperfect people who are in right relationship with one another and with God. I think that's the greatest testimony. As I'm talking about this, you have a face in your mind of somebody that you're at odds with. Oh yeah, they hurt you, it's real. You were offended. They gossiped about you. They betrayed you. Ask God to forgive you for the bitterness you have in your heart towards them. Decide to take responsibility. If you can, go to that person and ask them to forgive you. And don't say, I forgive you for how bitter I've been towards you. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Wrong. Don't say, Oh, you know, it was no biggie. Don't say that. To be honest with you, forgiveness is not an option if you're a believer. I'm just saying. Do you want to be right or do you want to be free? Susan and I are driving down the road. I'm in the left-hand lane. I'm doing exactly everything that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm driving in my lane. I'm driving the speed limit. I'm doing everything correct. The car in the right lane starting to come into our lane. And Susan says something. Hey, you need to do something. I'm going, you know, I'm right. He's wrong. So if he hits us, it will be his mistake, not mine. Because I'm in the right. And Susan says, yeah, we might be right, but we'll be dead right. (laughs) So do you want to be right? Bless God. I'm in the right. They're in the wrong. They need to do something about it, not me. Wow. Maintain that position. Yeah, that's a good Christian position to take. It might be impossible for you to believe, but Susan and I sometimes have intense moments of fellowship. 
where we, we speak words. Now, I'm a hanger on her. She's a let it go, let it go. The next day, she's let it go. And I'm, uh, this is for real. There's a point where you, you let this go on for so long, you forget what the fight was even about. You just know you're mad. And you have to hold your position. You can't cave. You got to get, you got to stay in there, baby, because I'm right. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be free? Harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. Stop being comfortable with your unforgiveness. Forgiveness is really about you and your need to be right with God. Mark 11, 23 says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Woo! We love that one, don't we? We'll preach that a preach. Both the mountain moving into the sea. Yes, I call the mountain to move into the sea. Hallelujah. I'm a man of faith. I stand on the word of God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we forget the next verse. Oh, this is going to hurt. This is really going to hurt. Look what it says. And it says, and whenever you stand praying for the mountain to go into the sea, Whenever you stand there asking for something to get done that God will do if you don't doubt in your heart, it goes and says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven will forgive you. Because, honey, if you don't forgive him, then Father in heaven won't forgive. Now, those are pretty strong words. You see, we treat forgiveness like a buffet. I'll, I'll have this. And I'll have, oh, I don't want that, but I'll have this and that. Do you know the Bible is not a buffet? It's like either you believe the whole word, nothing but the whole word, the whole truth, nothing but the whole truth, so help you God, or you're in trouble. This is part of the word of God. You see, we perceive that we have a right to withhold forgiveness. We don't have a perceived value on forgiveness. Because if we really had the proper perceived value on forgiveness, it wouldn't take us so long to forgive. We would get after it right now. We must forgive or God won't forgive me. You say, well, forgiveness is not natural. Absolutely correct. But we need to pardon the offender doesn't matter if they deserve forgiveness or not. Now, what do I say when I want to ask forgiveness of someone? This is what you don't say. You don't say, I'm sorry if I've hurt you. That's a, that's a fake forgiveness. That's not taking, you actually need to say the words, will you forgive me? They say, oh, that's just semantics. No, it's not. There's freedom in it. With some, now, I know when, when our kids were little, and we say, now, Lindsay, say you're sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, you know, they don't believe it. Well, you got to get past that where you come to the place where you actually mean it. And don't say, oh, well, it's just 
Let's just forget the past. Now, don't say that either. Say, will you forgive me? And then shut your mouth. Why? Let them respond. Because it's love for, you know what it means for them to say, yes, Stephen, I forgive you. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. You know what that tells me? got nothing to do with the other person. It's all about you. As much as it depends on you, till your own ground, root out your own soul. Come to that place in your own life where you can live at peace with all men. You make the first move. Don't wait for the other person. You make the first move. It was 1984. I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia. My life was in shambles at that time. I was kind of going from church to church. I was in the midst of kind of really recovering. I had married my high school sweetheart in 1976. It was now 1984 and I was in the midst of a divorce. Something that I preached against, I was now a statistic. Ministry was over for me, it was done. I was really struggling. And so there was a recovery process that I was having to go through. And to anybody in the house here that is divorced or you're in the middle of a divorce, I do want to say these things. I know that we say we want to be a house where we're a divorce-free zone, but please don't receive that as condemnation if you've been divorced. Or if you're in the middle of a divorce, please don't take that. Well, I guess they don't love me here. That's not true. It's not the end of the road. It's a bend in the road. And God can still restore. There is still hope. So in the midst of my shambles, there I was. And trying to work through this. And the divorce and and how painful that was. In fact, during those moments, I wished that someone would come and beat me up physically because the emotional pain was always there every night crying myself to sleep. You see, if someone just beat me up, I could at least heal, my body could heal, but this emotional pain was ridiculous. Then you move on to uh, some time later in 1987, I married Susan. People ridiculed me for that. Oh, well, second marriages never make it. Last month, this month, we just celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary. 36 years. 1996, my dad died of a heart attack at 61 years of age. I went into a tailspin. I went into depression. And in the midst of that depression, I got, Jesus and I got, we had to come to Jesus. And I felt an impression from the Lord to do something. And this was the impression. Stephen, I want you to write your ex-wife. And I want you to ask her for forgiveness. Now, immediately my defenses went, but, 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 but God, she, but God, she did this. And but, 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 but God, she was this way. But, but, and, and the Lord said, I don't care. I want you to write a letter. Because you know what? In every divorce, there's two people. 
And you can't blame one person 100%. There's, 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 there's poop on both sides of the fence, to be honest with you. Well, what happens if she doesn't respond? Doesn't matter. What happens if the letter just comes back undelivered? Doesn't matter. What happens if she won't forgive you? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I wrote the letter. Two weeks later, I get a letter back from her. Stephen, thank you for writing me. Yes, I forgive you. And Stephen, would you forgive me for what I did to dissolve our marriage? Can I tell you what happened? Hebrews chapter 12 talks about lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles you. It was gone. There's a... Linda Randall sings a song. JL, this is for you. Do you know who Linda Randall is? You do? I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of my past. I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. I am free Praise the Lord at last. There's a freedom that comes with forgiveness that is undeniable. It's not too late for you. You can get free tonight. Psalm 139. I think you're going to search me, oh God. Honestly, intimately, look inside it says, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You say, well, what about if I don't feel it? That's okay. We always put the feelings at the front of the train. Feelings are actually supposed to be the caboose. What drives the train is the facts. There's, there's facts, there's faith, and there's feeling. So let the facts, let the facts of the word of God. Do you trust the word? Do you believe the word? It's not a buffet, remember? Okay, I'm going to choose to forgive. That's the fact I'm going to do. I'm going to mix a little bit of faith in it. And you know what will come along? The feelings will come. And to the person that you just despised and didn't like, all of a sudden you're going to have feelings for them. And it will be like a weight falling off you.